Welcome to ClinFarm Pod. I'm Elena Webster, Deputy Managing Editor for the ASCPT Journal Family. I'm joined today by Dr. Sabina Payalunga and Dr. Arnout Van Harst, both of whom are Directors, Scientific Affairs at Solarion. Sabina and Arnott recently presented a webinar on their paper, Rifampin Drug-Drug Interaction Studies, Reflections on the Nitrosamine Impurities Issue, which published in Clinical and Translational Science. They were not able to cover all audience questions submitted during their webinar, so they will be doing so during this episode. Moderating this conversation are Dr. Mayor Latimer, Senior Scientist at Merck, and Dr. Muragesh Kandasamy, Research Scholar at the Indiana University School of Medicine. I really appreciate all of you being here today, and I'm very excited to continue the conversation on this exciting topic. And with that, I will turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's Murgesh here. Uh, thanks for the nice intro uh, by Alena. Uh, I, I take my privilege uh, to summarize the content of the last webinar, uh, like during ACPT webinar entitled Alternatives of Rifampin as a CYP3A4 inducer in drug-drug interaction studies in view of N-nitrosomine impurity issues. It was outlined how various sources of N-nitrosomine contribute to day-to-day -day exposure to N-nitrosomines, highlighting that above certain limits of exposure to various nitrosomines creates a health burden. The reduction of excessive amounts of uh, nitrosomine impurities across batches of uh, various marketed drugs have resulted in recalls and withdrawals but also have become an issue for clinical drug development, specifically due to nitrosomine impurities in rifampin, a drug extensively used as a perpetrator drug in DDI studies have prompted the need for alternative perpetrator drugs. The speakers uh, extensively reviewed alternative C3A4 inducers for use in DDI studies by summarizing experience of uh, key candidates and considering safety aspects and optical dosing regimes. Moreover, they presented several pragmatic case studies of phenantoin and uh, carmoxifine and briefly touched base upon application of PPDK modeling for drug-drug studies. Altogether, uh, quite a number of questions were raised during the webinar, many of which were answered during the live session. But with this podcast, we aim to address some of the remaining questions and key topics triggering the questions. So I hand over to Dr. Mayur for uh, the next questions for the speakers. Thank you. Hello, this is Mayur and today I'm so excited to chat with Sabina and Arnold again on the issue of alternatives for repumping as a CYP3 inducer. So first while the webinar in particular touched upon induction of CYP3 after administering multiple doses of repumping. A couple of questions concentrated on the safety of repumping itself and its use at a single dose in certain drug transporter DDI studies. So sometimes repumping is used as a single dose to assess the impact of OATP inhibition on OATP substrate. Should repumping be restricted in this scenario, similar to induction study with multiple doses, or is the risk minimal enough to progress with such study? So Sabina, here is a question for you on the issue of the repumping, single doses use and safety profile. Thank you, Mayor, for that question. And uh, I would just say that based on communications between our clients and the FDA, we find that rifampin is even prohibited for use when dosing single dose in healthy volunteers for OATPP inhibition DDI studies. And this is in line with the firm uh, stance that the EMA has taken in prohibiting use of rifampin in healthy volunteers. So. Just to clarify, during the webinar, we had proposed 
phenytoin and carbamazepine as alternatives for rifampin DDI studies, but that was really in the context of CYP3A induction. Phenytoin and carbamazepine are not relevant for DDI studies evaluating inhibition of OATPB since they don't have an inhibitory effect on this transporter. And in this case, we would suggest that um, individuals check the FDA tables on their website for alternative OATPP inhibitors. And in most cases, we tend to recommend clarithromycin or cyclosporin as alternatives, but that really depends on the investigational drug metabolism and the intended population. So other alternatives could be considered, such as ritonavir. However, um, None of these drugs are actually listed on the FDA webpage, um, including rifampin as a clinical index inhibitor of OATPB. So that's something to take note of. But great question. Thank you. So thank you very much for sharing it, Sabina. And also related to the use of rifampin at single dose as an inhibitor of drug transporter in DDI study, several attendees were interested in understanding what alternative there would be for use of rifampin in that regards. And some here is the question. Rifampicin single dose is a PGP inhibitor. Do any of the CYP3A alternatives also have PGP inhibition properties? And what about PGP induction? Great question. So it does seem that rifampin does have limited inhibition potential towards PGP at a single dose. And it's estimated that it's about less than 30% reduction when reported in the liver and maybe about 5% in the intestines. It's also noteworthy that rifampin is not listed as a PGP inhibitor on the FDA website that we were just speaking about. And um, rifampin, though, on the other hand, it is known as an inducer of PGP, especially after multiple doses. So um, like rifampin, neither phenytoin nor carbamazepine are referenced as PGP inhibitors on the FDA website. And phenytoin also has been shown to um, have no effect on digoxin PK when co-administered. This was a study dating back to 1992 that uh, did a co-administration of phenytoin and digoxin and found uh, no, no effect. Digoxin, as you may know, is a well-known PGP substrate. So in contrast, um, PGP induction by phenytoin after multiple doses is well-documented. But there is um, a general lack of supportive literature data regarding phenytoin as a PGP inhibitor. So we would not recommend or justify the use of phenytoin as a PGP inhibitor in DDI study. Thanks, Sabina, sharing for your thoughts. And now we have a question for Arnott. So Arnott, before we switch to the adequacy of phenytoin and carbamazepine as a replacement of rifampine, one question specifically addressed the safety profile of rifampine. Have any adverse effects or severe adverse event been reported for previous drug interaction studies using rifampin in healthy volunteers? Yeah, thank you, Mayur. That's uh, that's an interesting point, actually. Um, rifampin itself has a, a relatively good safety profile, um, and it's uh, it's generally well tolerated in our clinical trials in healthy volunteers. And maybe specifically, for instance, um, there, there can be mild transient uh, chromaturia um, in, in some subjects. 
But in the in the context of drug drug interaction studies, it's maybe noteworthy mentioning that there um, have also been reports of liver function test uh, elevations when uh, rifampin was applied. Um, however, these effects are probably not directly related to the use of uh, rifampin itself, but they, they may actually arise as a result of rifampin-inducing liver enzyme activity. So as a consequence, um, the production of drug metabolites can be enhanced, um, which uh, subsequently uh, have untoward effects um, uh, on the liver. And uh, yeah, so as you can imagine, any of these effects could happen with, uh, with all or any, any CEPS3A inducer. Yeah, thank you very much, Ernard, for sharing your thought on it. And now I will hand over to the for the next advocacy of phenytoin and carbamazepine replace of pumping theme to my colleague Murvis, and he will take lead on that part further. Thanks, Sumayu. Uh, it's regarding the uh, adequacy of phenytoin and carbamazepine as a replacement of uh, rifampin, uh, a theme uh, that triggered various questions from the audience concerns uh, regarding the adequacy of phenytoin and carbamazepine as a replacement of uh, rifampicin as an inducer, as well as their safety and what uh, the optimal dosing regimes would be for both. With a limited number of uh, clinical drug-drug uh, interaction studies and variable drug-drug uh, interaction magnitude, do you have any sufficient data to support that phenantine is a good replacement uh, to reliably uh, evaluate DDI of C3FO substrate? And I would like to uh, or not uh, to be uh, answer this question, please. Uh, thank you, Maragash. Um, uh, that, that's a, an important point indeed. And um, we, we've we've talked uh, through some of the slides showing that there's um, there's actually a fair number of drug drug interactions that already included phenytoin. And although uh, obviously some substrates are more sensitive to CYP3A metabolism than others, um, the data go in the same direction as we see with rifampin for the for some of those substrates. Um, that uh, in as far as these have been tested against both phenidoin and rifampin. In addition, there um, there are data from non-clinical assessments like uh, liver microsome studies um, that would also substantiate the, uh, the the potency of phenidoin as an inducer. And maybe the most uh, compelling argument that we also showed in one of our slides in the graph. Uh, is that um, drug-drug interaction data for midazolam, which is the clinical index substrate for CYP3A, shows very similar effects for rifampin um, as well as for uh, uh, phenidoin. So I, I guess that's uh, the answer we have. Oh, thanks, Dr. Arnold. And with regard to safety of phenantoin and uh, carmazepine, there was an interesting better understanding uh, their safety as compared to rifampin, also considering potential dosing regime. Now, first, with regard to safety, the following question came in is like that. Compared to uh, rifampin, phenantoin, and carmazepine, have less favorable safety profiles with various immediate uh, adverse effects. And in addition, exposure of healthy volunteers to phenantoin and carmazepine during DDA trials is longer than required when using rifampin, uh, which further increases the number of adverse effects. Uh, is that uh, like the uh, problem? Yes, that that's uh, we we obviously would like to continue using rifampin because it um, the safety profile of rifampin in in the short run is is much more favorable than those of carbamazepine and phenidoin. 
But um, the risk of developing cancer, however, due to the exposure to nitrosamines, which is uh, the case in when you use uh, start using rifampin, by far outweighs the, the risk of the, the short term, the, the transient adverse effects that you would uh, that would be caused by carbamazepine and finitoin specifically. But um, altogether, the overall safety pro profile uh, for both is acceptable, provided that um, risk mitigation steps are in place in a clinical trial. Oh, thanks. That's a great answer. And as a follow-up question to Dr. Sabina, uh, do you have recommendations on doses and dosing frequency of alternate inducers? Yes. So as we showed in our uh, webinar, uh, we typically recommend 14 days of induction with phenytoin. And for dosing that, we would do 100 milligrams three times a day. This is based on literature reports showing good induction levels, as well as our own experience. For carbamazepine, on the other hand, um, as shown during the webinar, we would recommend uh, dose titration. So about two to three days of incremental doses is recommended to fully reach up to that 300 milligram BID dose for at least seven days of carbamazepine dosing to really hit that optimal uh, CYP3A induction level. Oh, that's great, Dr. Sabina. Uh, in terms of phenotype risk uh, mitigation measures, uh, Dr. Arnold, do you have uh, to exclude one of uh, childbearing uh, potential from the phenotype studies or uh, the use of appropriate uh, contraception, uh, contraception by childbearing women be okay? Yeah, I, I didn't go into detail during the webinar, but indeed, uh, phenytoin is, uh, is said to have teratogenic properties. So um, its use in, in women of childbearing potential would uh, indeed trigger prenatal risks. Um, and that is why women of childbearing potential should be excluded from healthy volunteer studies uh, when, when you use uh, phenytoin as an inducer. And contraception, which is uh, asked in the, in, the, in the question, is never considered to provide a 100% a, a protection against pregnancy. So, um, so women of childbearing potential uh, should indeed be excluded entirely from, from being exposed to phenytoin in a drug-drug interaction study. Thanks, Dr. Arnold. And this is for Dr. Sabina. And another, this question, especially from the uh, case slides, the impact of first pause are also on TRF. Uh, for example, uh, X, uh, um, uh, drug X example, interconazole and phenytoin showed similar CMAX and area undercurrent changes where TF not significantly changed, if so, or uh, drug drug interaction affects mainly on the first pulse metabolism. That was a really great and astute question asked by our audience. This is referring to the case study one with drug X, where we applied a low dose and a high dose of the drug with either itraconazole or phenytoin. And indeed, uh, the percent changes were opposite but similar. So we saw a 50% increase or decrease upon co-administration of the inhibitor or inducer. And though it was difficult to see from the graph, the half-life of the drug was slightly shorter. It was reduced by about 20% with phenytoin co-administration. So this would indicate systemic drug clearance was indeed induced. And then on the same note, with itraconazole, we did see a prolongation, a slight prolongation of the half. So we do see systemic changes here. Yeah, uh, thanks Dr. Sabina. Uh, one further question was not so much targeting the efficacy of phenantoin and carmazabine as a three 
C3A4 inducers in comparison to RFI per C, but rather pointed to potential differences in induction of uh, C3FA in different tissues asking. Is it known uh, if there is a differential induction of inter intestinal and liver 3 4 by different agents proposed to for uh, DDA studies, uh, Dr. Arnott? Um, that's that's an interesting point. Uh, I, I I think there's quite some publications, and it's it's not entirely known. Um, but first of all, it's good to also bear in mind that that um, there's quite some inter-individual differences already in CYP3A4 expression, and um, and and maybe to reference the paper that was published um, in Clinical Pharmacology and Therapeutics, the Pharmacometrics and uh, Systems Pharmacology. There, there was a PBPK modeling, uh, which kind of integrates all observations from non-clinical and clinical studies. And uh, first of all, the, the results show that phenidabine and carbamazepine can be similarly strong inducers of CYP3A, um, both in the liver and the intestines. Uh, there, there may be differences like ephedrine that I, I didn't really go into detail on. Um, it is a, a drug that has, there have been several publications that, uh, that show conflicting data about its potency to induce uh, CYP3A in the gut, just as it would in the, in the liver. And this is also uh, addressed in the modeling paper, uh, so saying actually that ephedrine is less effective uh, in inducing uh, CYP3A in the gut. But again, the data are conflicting, but there, uh, there may be, definitely be differences, yes. Thanks, uh, Dr. Not. And here with Thailand, I'll hand over to uh, Dr. Moyen. Yeah, thank you, everyone. So today, I'm so excited to learn on the Ripampi nitrosamine status through the attendee situations. So welcome again back, Arnold and Sabina, on the concerning the status of nitrosamine in the Ripampi. So Arnold, do you know of any public communication from the FDA on limiting the use of repumping in clinical DDI studies with healthy volunteers and the dose the FDA has the firm stance on the use of repumping in clinical trials? Well, late um, 2020, the FDA has uh, stated it, it will not object to higher exposure to rifampin and and, uh, and the nitrosamines to maintain patient access to the to this life-saving medication. Uh, but it didn't specifically address the use of rifampin in healthy volunteer studies, uh, in any public communication at least, not like uh, the European Medicines Agency, which which actually did. Yet the FDA, in, in, um, in all the communications that many of our clients had, the FDA has consistently been making the statement that rifampin cannot be used in uh, healthy volunteer studies like uh, these drug-drug interaction studies. Thank you very much, Arnold, for letting us know. So with regard to use of rifampin in DDI enrolling in healthy volunteers, or perhaps continuation of using rifampin, there was one remarkable question saying, and here is the question, so we frequently conduct the drug drug interactions in our CRU and there are approximately 20 CYP3A4 induction study over the last three years since the issue first emerged. But in our experience, the FDA only rejected repumping study in 25% of cases, whereas in approximately 75% of cases, repumping trials were able to proceed without any issue or regulatory pushback. So any insight on this would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, that, that's an interesting or actually in, in, intriguing uh, question. 
but it, it it may be a little hard for me to respond to this um, this question specifically without knowing all the details from the attendee at the, the webinar. As I just said with the previous question, uh, the FDA has consistently prohibited any healthy volunteer trials uh, since late 2020 in various communications with our clients, and that's that's also what we hear from other CROs. Um, and I assume FDA has taken the same stance for any drug-drug interaction study um, enrolling healthy volunteers that, that, um, that occurred ever after. Now, if you run a search on clinicaltrials.gov, then, then apart obviously from a couple of patient studies that, that would still uh, be, be allowed, there's a handful of uh, projects where rifampin is set to be administered to healthy volunteers that have been actually initiated in the past two to three years. So after the use of refampin was um, banned by FDA. Now for some of these projects, uh, as, as we can confirm ourselves, um, the approval may have been received before FDA started prohibiting the use of refampin in, in such studies in healthy volunteers. But otherwise, uh, in our experience, the, the trial information as shown on, on clinical trials of GovMay not always be up to date um, with the latest protocol amendments. So, for instance, uh, refampin may have been replaced by finidinidin in the meantime, or if there is a, a study um, consisting of multi-parts, so a multi-part drug-drug interaction study, the part where refampin would be administered um, may in effect never have been conducted, never, so the study may ne never have completed all parts. Um, but otherwise, that, that's, I'm afraid, all I can say to this. Thank, thank you very much, Arnold, for providing the detailed answer on the issue. And so now I would like to ask question to Savina on the regulatory agency positions. So one comment from the audience was that Health Canada does not have the same impurity restriction on refurbishing as the FDA. Can you please comment on this? That, that's correct. So the acceptable intake limit for nitrosamines in refampin batches may slightly vary across different agencies. And um, looking into uh, Health Canada, they've actually released batches of refampin containing the NMP purity of 2.2 parts per million, which is indeed lower than the limit set by the FDA of five parts per million. So these temporary limits may be probably based on batches of refampin that are available in that particular region or country and um, are needed in terms of the uh, patient care required. In our view, all geographies have stopped using refampin with healthy volunteers, but do allow continued use with, with patients and uh, using the batches that are available to treat these patients. Thank you very much, Sabina, for sharing your view on that. So again, I would like to call the Arnold on the some questions. So during the live webinar, two important questions were responded to which asked. The question first is whether we have any expectation on how long it will take to solve the end nitrosamine issue of repumping. And the second question is when we force the renewed availability of repumping for healthy subject study, given the relevance of this topic for future DDI studies, Please, can you reiterate your thoughts on this regard? Yeah, sure. Um, this remains rather uncertain whether uh, refampin will become available again, because even though regulatory authorities have issued guidance and implemented risk mitigation steps for industry, 
to actually reduce nitrosamine impurities uh, in dwarf batches, in, in rifampin batches, it is not clear by accepting uh, higher levels of nitrosamines um, as the regulatory authorities have done, by accepting higher limits um, of nitrosamine impurities in rifampin batches, we don't know whether this has taken away the incentive for industry to actually implement changes um, in, into the manufacturing process and um, and come back with cleaner batches of refampin. So, yeah, so what will happen if, will FDA, for instance, ban refampin batches at some point if they still contain uh, MNP nitrosamine above the acceptable intake level, but below five parts per million as, um, as was implemented by FDA? We suspect um, in practice that the issue has the potential to linger on for months, if not, not years uh, to come. Thank you. Thank you very much, Arnold. And I would really like to thanks again, you both, Arnold and Sabina, taking your time and sharing your thoughts. And I, I learned many things today. With, and also, it's my pleasure to lead the session with my colleague, moderator Murugesh. So now I will hand over to the Elena for the closing remarks. Thank you very much, Sabina. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today, and I'm really glad that we got to address all of the audience questions and share them with other attendees and listeners. If you did miss the webinar or would like to read Sabina and Arnaut's paper, you'll find links to both in the description of this episode, and the slides from the presentation are also available. Again, Muragesh and Mayur, thank you for guiding us this conversation, and Sabina and Arnaut, I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and insights with us. And thank you for listening to Clinfarm Pod. Be sure to check out past episodes while you're here, and remember to visit ASCPT.org for updated podcast releases, our latest calls for papers, and the most recent issue of all three journals.